everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, a special series EFT talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT supervisor and therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. I am super excited to welcome back to our show. We have Dr. Leanne Campbell. She's a psychologist in Canada. She's located in British Columbia in Vancouver Island. And she's actually one of the co-founders of the Vancouver Island Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy. And she's also a certified EFT trainer. And she was actually back in grad school with Sue Johnson. And she was one of the original crew for EFT. And I know that she and Sue have been doing EFIT for a long time. And she's been such a, an important part of pioneering EFIT. And so we're just so excited to have her on our show today. And we are going to be talking today about emotionally focused therapy for individuals. That's what EFT is. And specifically using EFT for individuals with trauma. So we are treating trauma in session using EFT. So thank you back. Uh, thank you for coming back, Leanne. Thanks for being on our show again. Thank you so much, Annabelle, a friend for that lovely introduction and uh, for welcoming me on your show again. So yes, I started back in the 80s with Sue in graduate school. We were among, I among others, was one of the original therapists in some of the studies looking at the empirical efficacy of emotionally focused couple therapy. And from the very beginning, we've been doing individual therapy as well from an EFT attachment focused, um, emotion focused perspective, but it's with um, Sue's ATIP book that it has become formalized. And since um, the introduction of that um, book there, we've been doing some trainings, level one and level two trainings, also some additional trainings. And um, yeah, it's just an exciting opportunity to be a part of the growth of EFT once again. And your work is amazing. I've seen your training videos. I've attended trainings with you. Your work is fabulous. And for those of you who are listening on the podcast version, so Leanne mentioned a tip. That is Sue's most recent book. It is Attachment Theory and Practice, aka a tip. And it is a fabulous book. And it is, is it geared more towards clinicians, but could the layperson like enjoy the book? Could they read it and get something important out of it? Uh, well, that's a great question. I actually think Sue is like the most amazing writer and ATIP um, along with her trauma book that we're uh, working on and we'll be um, revising and incorporating more of EFIT into it in um, 2021. Uh, yes, so I, th I think that people would um, benefit from it. And so in the ATIP book, she covers um, emotionally focused therapy with individuals, couples and families and lots of rich case studies and um, clinical material that I think, yes, um, therapists and um, the public alike would benefit from that, yes. Excellent. And if you're a clinician, um, you may not know that Sue has already published a book on trauma. It's called Facing the Dragon Together or something uh, like that. Actually, I, I have that book. EFT uh, with Trauma, Facing the Dragon Together. It's yeah. got a brown cover. So if you yes, just Google exactly. Johnson trauma book. And so, and Leanne, you and Sue are revising that book and that, sh that will be coming out in 2021. 
Yes. Yeah. And there'll be an EFET book coming out in 2021 as well. Excellent. So lots of exciting developments. Excellent. Excellent. So a lot of people don't know when they, when they think of EFT, they think, oh, it's just couples work, couples dilemmas, but they don't know that you can actually heal trauma within the context of a couple's relationship. And EFT is not just for couples, but if you can work with a couple, you can work with family members you can work with an individual. After all, a couple includes both individuals and dyads. <laughs> so um, couples come in many forms. And so EFT is, and because EFT, emotionally focused therapy, is rooted in attachment science. And attachment directly informs how we think of trauma and how we treat trauma. And it is extraordinary. Um, I do have to say my most favorite work has been with trauma clients using EFT and EFIT and it's amazing. And so Leanne, I'd love for you to maybe, maybe share with folks what the difference might be between EFIT with trauma and maybe the couple's dynamic. How would that be a little bit different? Sure. Okay. So maybe I'll um, back up from that great question just um, a bit and um, talk about, so, so when we think about trauma, we can think about it on a continuum and the impacts also occurring on a continuum. So in my um, work, I was fortunate, a big part of our training was couple therapy, but also lots and lots of um, work with trauma during my graduate school days with Sue and with other clinicians who were great supervisors. And since that time, my focus has been in the areas of trauma and grief and loss. So I think attachment um, science is such a useful frame for understanding the impacts of trauma. So for example, I also do a lot of assessments for lawyers and insurance companies and inevitably, and there's studies that support this as well, oftentimes um, people might meet criteria for one or more DSM-5 diagnoses. And that's helpful information for us. But when we think about it through an attachment frame, really what we wanna pay attention to are the elements of various emotional disorders. And when we um, delve deeper um, through that same attachment lens, our, our key focus is model of self, model of other, and affect regulation capacity and how that's been impacted by trauma. So key in terms of trauma impacts is um, that, and you know, Peter Levine and others talk about this as well, is that at the time of a traumatic event, individuals' resources go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and especially um, an interpersonal event where they're alone, for example, a child. Can you kind of elaborate what you mean about their resources and where is elsewhere? Yeah, good, good, good question. So for example, um, with young children who grow up in homes where their needs are consistently rebuffed, or inconsistently responded to, their only recourse, and especially kids who are enduring chronic childhood abuse and trauma, that they have no, not much choice but to numb out, shut down, dissociate. And so of course they lose aspects of their self and their development. All of their resources go to survival. It's harder their for them. Emotional resources, like their energy really kind of gets hijacked and goes around that survival. 
Yes, perfect, Annabelle. Thank you. Yes, you're answering my, the question you asked much better than I was. That's exactly right. And, and, and also their capacity to develop the social skills that are um, a big part of early childhood development and adolescent development and so on and so forth. So um, from an EFT perspective, what we um, suggest is that key to resolving trauma is allowing people to feel what was intolerable or unsafe to feel at the time of the event and this time not alone. Mm -hmm. So in couple therapy, we can use the resource of the, of the partner as, um, as a resource, an emotional, kind of like a emotional airbag or emotional support, a safe place to land place to land right exactly so it makes sense and you know jim um cone and others talk about carrying the the metabolic load of stress yeah. is it's much easier when we're in the company of a trusted other so if we can um, move the couple through stage one into a more trusting relationship move toward de-escalation everything we know about um, couple therapy then we can use that partner as a resource to begin to resolve trauma so in so, hold on. let me let me catch because you're saying so many good things and i'm i'm imagining some of our listeners were like oh wait wait what, what are you saying <laughs> so um, some first important things is that what you, what I heard you say, and please correct me if I'm off, is that in EFT, we're non-pathological. And while, you know, when you're doing assessments for trauma, while knowing if there's criteria for the DSM can be important, especially, you know, if they need to be, um, you know, ethically, you need to resource them with some higher level of care. Um, or you're assessing for insurance or attorneys or whatever, and they kind of require that. But in terms of actually treating it, EFT takes a non-pathological stance. And we know from attachment science, and, and I think even Gabor Matei says this, who's a well-known um, psychiatrist in Canada as well, who works with trauma and addiction, says trauma is not just what happens to you, it's hap it happens what it's what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. And we know in EFT um, and attachment that when you endure something terrible and you're emotionally alone and isolated, no caregivers, or even if the trauma occurs by an attachment figure, right? Then that's experienced as even more traumatizing. Those who have secure attachment, a secure base safe haven with a secure attachment figure will be able to resource with that person. They'll be able to get comfort, soothing. That safe, secure attachment figure will be able to help them organize the experience, right? That what happened to them, like if, if you know, maybe they were mugged or something, they're gonna know this wasn't your fault you know, you didn't do anything wrong, you know, I'll, I'll go with you to self-defense classes or whatever, you know, but if you're, if you're a child or, or you're in it alone, you have nobody to help you make sense of that. And it's even worse when it happens through an attachment figure, which kind of violates, kind of violates the law, the code of humanity, right? It's like, wait, this person is supposed to be the person who loves me and keeps me safe. And they're the ones hurting me or something bad happened to me and I tell my attachment figure and then my attachment figure turns on me and says, well, it was your fault. 
you know, I hear this so often with um, when there's um, some kind of sexual abuse within families and they'll tell a parent and the parents, you know, denies it, says, nope, you're making that up or you must have wanted it, you attracted it in some way. And so not only was the original thing really hard and painful, but now they're being turned on and betrayed by an attachment figure, which is an even bigger trauma. And that experience has just been organized for them as this is your fault, somehow you wanted this. And so that's even more traumatizing and they're not getting the emotional support. And what you also mentioned, you know, Jim Cohen, um, social baseline theory, a lot of neurological science out there says that we do better together. And sharing the metabolic load, what you said is not, you know, I can kind of hear people's radars pinging like, what does that mean that I'm supposed to take responsibility? No, no, no. We know that just the act of being within close proximity, being emotionally present and available as a comforter, as a supporter, helps somebody manage the load. Knowing they're not alone helps them be able to regulate that load. And because when these stressful things happen, your body releases cortisol and adrenaline, and we know emotion wants to come out. And when you get that secure attachment, you're getting oxytocin, you're getting serotonin, dopamine, all those good things that'll start counteracting the stress hormones and your nervous system can go back. That's what you mean by metabolic load, right? It's the, the nervous system. So we wanna look at in EFT, we want to look at somebody's emotional resources. What, what happened to them and what was their attachment structure when this happened? Because we know, again, um, that if they don't have secure attachment, they're going to come to certain kinds of survival strategies that may or may not be healthy or effective. It's effective in the moment because, as Sue says, it helps them survive the night but they get into relationships or later in adult life and kind of failure to thrive really becomes no longer survive, you know? So we want to look at that structure. And um, I guess our, you're saying our goal, that, that's another big thing is people think, oh my gosh, if you're going over this memory, isn't that going to re-traumatize them? And I know we know an attachment, it's, it's the being alone that's the nail in the coffin, right? And so it's like reprocessing that memory in a way that helps them feel not alone. But can you speak a little bit more to that idea where people are like, won't talking about it re-traumatize them? Um, yes. So just to, um, I love what you highlighted, Annabelle, that, the individual who um, was monked, for example, and was able to process that may not have any trauma symptoms um, or, or very few. And, and the window of tolerance for working through that might be very wide and broad. Whereas the individual who um, had no resources and chronic exposure to trauma would have a very limited window of tolerance and that would change the way that we do things. And especially in stage one, of therapy. So um, to go back to your question about re-traumatizing memories, um, 
or re-traumatizing the individual by working through memories. So part of the goal of stage one is to help people to get to know the way that they normally organize their emotional um, lives and begin to challenge those reflexive and automatic strategies. So for example, um, those of you who are familiar with EFT know about the tango. So in stage one in couple therapy uh, with move three, we use the partner and in individual therapy, we might use a part of self or some uh, imaginal key other or the therapist. Yeah. Um, and using that therapist is key. I've found we, we may be the first, when these things happen and they have that trauma they kind of reprogram the human code as other people aren't trustworthy. So even sharing something like this in front of you, the professional is a really big risk for them. And so kind of processing, what is it like to share with me, to have me be understanding and offer empathy to help you know you're not alone, right? And of course, we're not looking to create dependence. We do eventually want to transfer that um, security to a safe other but we may be the first in building, helping them build a template that there are safe people out there. There is a possibility of having this safety, but the, you're saying in eFit, I love what you're saying. So in couples, you know, we can resource with the partner, we're doing the tango. And in stage one with individuals, we're looking at the way they process and organize emotions. So their own cycle. So can you explain how we would kind of map their own cycle around trauma or in general. Right, maybe maybe we could um, do that in the context of a case, Annabelle. Would that be useful? Absolutely. Yeah, so at the outset of um, stage one, it, whether we're working with couples or individuals, but we'll focus on individuals, we wanna develop a safe haven therapeutic alliance um, to establish trust in the therapist, but also in the therapeutic process. And we also want to do a good assessment, and we've touched on that in terms of kind of the impacts of trauma on a continuum, and that um, guides us with regard to clinical decision making, such as whether other resources are needed, like a psychiatric consult for medication, or sometimes substance abuse treatment. And we also, um, you know, we've developed a care model, which is a whole other big topic, but we want to look at the individual within their context hence the C and care. We pay attention to the context, we pay attention to attachment, both um, historically. So what did, what did um, childhood look like? What did adolescence look like? We also wanna pay attention to whether there are any resources um, currently because that also guides us with regard to how we pace the therapeutic process. And of course we focus on the alliance, both at the outset, the R, the relationship, in care, um, both in assessment, but throughout the process. So in EFT, we say assessment and treatment merge and emotion is central to emotionally focused um, couple therapy. So emotion is central and it's essential to all therapy, right? It's because emotion lives in the nervous system. So it's the agent of change. We know that in distress, in trauma and pain that the the actual logic center of the brain floods with peptides and shuts down because again, attachment is part of our survival system. So it's rallying all your energy towards survival. So we've got to, when we say emotionally focused, we're really working in the survival system and that's where we have to create the change. So carry on. Exactly. Thank you, Annabelle. Lovely. Exactly. That's right. 
So emotion is key. Um, so we pay attention to how people um, speak about their narrative, whether there are gaps in their narrative. We pay attention to whether um, you know, their um, emotion is congruent with what they're sharing. So we focus on process and content. And so once, so at the end of stage one, uh, we would expect fewer symptoms. We would expect in this case that I'll refer to, I'll call her Sandy. Um, at the beginning, she had high suicide risk. By the end of stage one, um, that also had diminished. She had made more contact and had a bit more compassion for herself, but she still hadn't worked through some of the key um, traumatic memories. And there is a session that's available on our website if people are interested and that's been a part of our trainings in EFIT levels one and two as well, level one in particular. Um, but to answer your question about whether it can be re-traumatizing. So it is true that pacing and sensitivity to that very key um, question is critical. So if I just take you through the scene, basically what happened is she came to session and this was in April when we had just um, arrived on Zoom. This session had been scheduled for an in-person session, but we weren't able to do that. And she talked about various memories coming up, which is common with trauma. And um, one memory leads to another and another and another. But in therapy, as always, we want to focus. So I asked her about the memory that had been coming up most, and she shares about an experience of childhood sexual abuse. And, and what am I trying to do? I, wanted, I want her to be able to process that at an emotional level, something she would have never been able to do as that little eight-year-old at the time of the event. You're organizing it for her. And I, I find that the flashbacks are keys that there's, you know, kind of like when Sue says with regular um, non-trauma clients, that, you know, there's a good reason why people do what they do. And so adapting that in trauma, there's a good reason why this memory is coming up, right? And so what I often do is, is I look for the attachment experience around that trauma. What, what did it mean to them? How did they process that originally? And we kind of reorganize that on that emotional level. I've never had a client be re-traumatized by the sharing of a memory, by the way, guys. In fact, this work has been amazing. This reprocessing and organizing exactly what you're saying, Leanne, going through these memories. And sometimes you'll have couples and suddenly one will like have this flashback to childhood. Grab that, you know, just like when clients, when couples get stuck in the cycle, they bring back some past event. That flashback is coming because it's alive in the present. And so we can use that as a window into their attachment experience. And so I love what you're saying. So, so you're working with Sandy, you're organizing her experience on an emotional level. Where else are you going? Right. So in stage two, as many of you have read or know about, in, um, if you're familiar with EFT, we want to by the time that um, our clients reach stage two, it's true for couples and for individuals, that it's much easier for um, them, their, their windows of tolerance have expanded. So it's easier for us and it's important for us 
to pitch our interventions at a deeper level and take clients to a deeper level of experience. So when I work with Sandy in this scene, I'm actually in the scene. I, I tell her, she describes to me um, the situation. She tells me about the windowsill, all the things that little kids do when they're elsewhere, when their resources are elsewhere. She can remember the dust, she can remember the smell, all of that, all of her senses are, are there. And I tell her, I'm there too, I'll be with you. And by then we've done some parts work. We've helped um, her to know that there's this older, wiser self who can be there too. So in fact, she has two resources in that memory. And as we enter into it, it's, it's like flow. Um, she is there, she's living it, she's mm -hmm. feeling it. And, and then she begins to feel what she was unable to feel at the time of the event. And that, that's what's key, is for her to be able to do that in the presence of a trusted other, in this case, others. And I love what you're saying too. It's kind of like you're, you're helping her to tap into the inner strength that she never knew that she had. The part of her that was able to survive, that was able to make it this far, that didn't, that didn't crumble and fade away. And you're really kind of helping her to own that part to be part of stage two. So knowing the model, owning disowned aspects of self, right? Can be this part of you that's really strong, that, that really um, can make it, even though you, you've seen yourself as weak, right? So really helping them to own the inner strength that they have, which can help them feel empowered and have power over the situation where otherwise in terms of memory, they would, feel emotionally powerless. And so that reprogramming of that memory is now I have power over it using my internal strength, recognizing that part of myself can be extraordinarily powerful. Yes, absolutely. And if we trust in the process, our clients will also. And um, that will naturally, there'll be a natural unfolding if we follow the emotional process. So that, that's right, that's exactly what happened. As she stayed in there, um, she was able to tell that younger self, um, that, that younger little girl who was in that moment, it's not your fault, it wasn't your fault. And um, she's able to repeat that. I have her repeat that. And that's way more powerful coming from her as a resource than yeah. coming from me. Because uh, now she's starting to integrate you know, the, the inner shaming voice that's, that's organized that as this was my fault, I did something wrong, is now able to reorganize that as it wasn't my fault, I didn't do anything wrong, right? And, and as those pieces come back to integrate as that whole, she's no longer that person who sees herself as this was your fault, I did something wrong. And, and that's extraordinary. Exactly. And, yeah. And so I'd love to get a little tactical with this case, if it's okay with this example. So if we can kind of go back to stage one, and then we'll, we'll come back to stage two. So when we're talking about doing trauma and we're tracking a person's cycle, and, and this can be kind of nuanced, you know, we're always also assessing for what is their emotional support like now? Like who can they turn to? Who's available to them? Is there anyone safe? Sometimes they have safe others. Maybe they have a spouse who really longs to be a support to them, but because of their trauma, 
they've never known how to access that resource and, and really internalize their love and their protection. Um, and, or sometimes because of the trauma, they've not, they've shut down the mechanisms that would cause them to be, they either like avoid, again, really getting close to people, keep them at arm's length. So they, they've not allowed themselves to develop any close relationships, or they've shut down the, the emotional mechanisms that would light up that would say, you're, you're cross, this person's crossing your boundaries there. You need to like, not have this person in your life, they shut those down and end up welcoming people who, and not setting boundaries with people who keep re-traumatizing them. And so it kind of keeps them in that cycle. So it's, it's kind of nuanced because you're looking at a within and between, like what is their own, um, how do you handle emotions? Like, you know, when these things come up, when you experience distress, when your trauma comes up, what do you feel? What do you do with that? Who do you turn to? Uh, what what strategies do you have to cope with that? Do you drink? Do you ride your bike? Do you read? What do you do? Um, how do you kind of come out of it? And then, you know, is there anyone else out there? How does this show up in your interactions with other people, right? So what is your dance with yourself and your trauma? And then how does this impact the way you, because again, EFT, we talk about the, the dance that humans do together. And we're never not in relationship. And again, we do better together. So we want to start checking the resources, plant, planting or seeding attachment, right? How does this impact the way that you interact with human beings, right? Does this look like, um, well, when I get reminded of my trauma, I push away from people. Like I, I don't even make friends with my colleagues. I, I keep to myself. I shut down. No one really knows me. Um, I distance myself from family. Um, I avoid romantic relationships, or maybe I self-soothe in relationships and run into relationships and accept people that need lots of care so that I have something to focus on and, and don't have to care for myself. You know, it, it could show up a thousand different ways. Yeah. So we're kind of tracking that. What would you add to that, Leanne? Yes. Well, that that's a great point. In the case of Sandy, that's right. Um, so when we do... Um, you know, the work of affect assembly and really making sense of that with regards to moves one and two of the tango, what is revealed is that the thing that happens for her is that she'll um, be triggered by her children or by her spouse who she says are perfect. And that's right, she's not able to take in his love um, for all the reasons that you articulated and referred to. And um, then she'll do things like lash out at them. She, get, she gets overwhelmed, she lashes out. She doesn't say, I need you. Um, where are you? Can you help me? None of that because of her trauma history, she doesn't trust. And she also doesn't feel worthy of that negative mm -hmm. model self and other, which is so common. Um, I mean, attachment, our early attachment experiences directly impact our view of self and how we see others. AKA, as you said before, if I had a, a parent who was not consistently available or was abusive or neglectful, then I may learn to not trust other people. Or if I've been betrayed a lot, I may think other people have a hidden agenda or um, just think they're out to get me or just, you know, they're not safe to get close to, right? And then your view of self is 
something's wrong with me. I did it. I'm bad. I'm not worthy, which is, you know, 99.99% of the time, my clients with trauma have that negative view of self. Right, exactly. So, so then she would lash out and then um, everything that she believes about herself was reinforced and she would go into what she describes as dark spaces and she um, had pervasive and very rigid and strong thoughts about self-harm and how her family would be better off without her, that she was doing damage. So that was part of the challenge at the outset of therapy. And I appreciate that you went back, Annabelle, because that's right, in stage two, we're able to resolve that shame. But in stage one, I, I, much like in other um, aspects of EFT, our job is to contain it rather than actually um, begin to resolve it. And it's, and it's when she can um, see herself, her younger self in a new light with compassion, that that's the antidote to shame, that she can then begin to resolve that and, and, and then in turn begin to take in the compassion and love that her partner has been trying for years um, to we give We can her. rely emotionally on others and access them as a resource in times of need, which we know is that hallmark of uh, secure attachment. Sorry, my voice gets a little dry today, so it's a little, little crackly. So, what you're so with with stage one and stage two. So let's let's talk the model. So you're talking about containment, right? And I do want to ask about kind of self care. You know, when when because you start to touch things that are very, very raw, very tender things come to the surface, and so we want to talk about how to help. The client outside of session, but really, it sounds it sounds like in stage one we're we're really assessing the we're kind of measuring their window of tolerance, right? Um, how much emotional experiencing can they tolerate? How in contact with their emotions are they when they do feel emotions? Do they spiral out or do they shut down and try not to feel? Um, and we want to work within that window of tolerance. We are going to work on trying to expand that window, but, and the way we do that in EFT, I think, Leanne, and you tell me if I got this right, is um, if, if it feels like they're starting to get to the edge of that window, we may pop out of the emotion, kind of lift them back up and allow them to kind of process on a little bit more cognitive level before we kind of dip back down again, helping them regulate. So we're co-regulating with them because we don't want to push them out of that window, which, you know, sometimes can be hard to do. I've had clients with trauma and just checked, 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 where are we, you know, is this feel okay? And they would give me all signs, like I'm running with you, I'm running with you, we're good, we're good, we're good. And then all of a sudden it's like, they're passed out on the sidewalk. Wait, wh why, why did you stop? You just said you were with me. And so I kept going like, and then that was too much. So sometimes they don't even know their own window of tolerance. Um, no, that's, that's right. And I think um, that that is actually a really key point that we don't want to overshoot, but we also don't want to undershoot because that'll keep people stuck and it will diminish any kind of trust in the therapeutic process that they might um, have opportunity to develop. So yeah, and one of the ways that we can 
quote unquote titrate is in the ways that you were describing and you know from an EFT perspective to use some of the language of the interventions by tracking and reflecting and validating and that kind of consolidates and then we can go a little bit further maybe and so on and so forth but that's right for some clients who have had um, significant um, histories of trauma and few to no resources little to no therapy the stage one process is going to be really slow and um, potentially with lots of stops and starts People might come for a few months, do a piece of work, go away, consolidate that. And again, if we think about attachment and an experiential model, we believe in people's capacity to grow. Mm -hmm. And if we provide them with some type of foundation, they'll continue to do that. So it's okay if they take breaks between sessions. And again, if we think about attachment theory as a theory of, um, development and personality, then it makes perfect sense that it's going to take some time and that we'll need to um, be respectful of that. And it's the science of human behavior too. So all behavior makes sense through the attachment lens. And I love what you're saying. So in EFT, particularly, one of the ways we tie trade, so you're saying the interventions in the model is we would reflect, organize, track, so if we sense that they're getting to the edge of that window, we're not going to try to expand and evoke. We're not going to try to heighten. We're going to kind of pull back and just organize, just track, organize, reflect. Um, and then we'll assess from there, like, have they caught their breath enough? Can we go back to expanding a little bit? And it requires a mass amount of attunement. Like you really have to attune. And, you know, like you said, forgive yourself if you, because sometimes the client doesn't know their own window and they will say, this is okay, I can tolerate this until they just snap in the next second and you're like, oh, oh no, <laughs> you know, and it, it can cause a rupture. I've had that happen and it can cause a rupture where they, they fall out of that window of tolerance and they're like, I don't want to go anymore because you pushed me out of that window and it's just too much for me. And they shut down and they, they go back to what they do in their own cycle. So just forgive yourself if that happens and get supervision and, and uh, take it as a learning experience, but really do everything you can to attune to where the client is at. And you know, could you, so you can fill out a cycle sheet. I know in the couple thing, we like to do the cycle and we could fill out a cycle sheet for that client and their trauma, right? I mean, we're still going to what's the cue and the trigger for their trauma. What's the limbic appraisal, right? Their, the way that they make sense out was their body say about it. What's the emotional response. Then what do they do? right? And whenever they do what they do, what happens as a result of that? And then what's the meaning they make out of whatever happens? And then how does the cycle keep repeating? Is, is there anything else you would add to that? Um, yeah. So for example, going back to Sandy, um, it's true that her, her family would recoil. She'd push them away. They'd retreat. Um, they'd, um, you know, just like, um, we hear about in couple therapy, we hear the same thing from family members um, that they feel like they're walking on eggshells. And 
And again, this only reinforces her self-loathing and her perspective that they would be better off without her. But just to go back, um, also, Annabelle, to what you're saying about overshooting. Mm -hmm. So an example of that might be a client who is moving into an experience, and this might be um, really at a minimal level, but nonetheless, um, reaching the edge of that client's window of tolerance. And you might see that client dissociate, for instance. So one of the things that we can do, and this isn't unique to EFT, uh, but is to, to ground the person. Um, so can ask questions like, where are you? What just happened? Um, can you hear my voice? Can you feel me here with you? Um, are you able to pull yourself back? What happens when you pull yourself back? So, so develop, and, and that um, I think also impacts the individual's um, trust in the therapist and and self and the process and also um you know you kind of gave an example i think that it was you weren't maybe fully serious about how far it could go because because you that you can that that is part of attunement is watching where your client is and and ideally that's right not overshooting but bringing them to the edge the leading edge of their um, experience that will allow them to stretch that window of tolerance. And then in stage two, um, move more deeply into some of the painful material that really has shaped models of self and other. Yeah. I mean, if you know the client's at their edge, you definitely don't want to push farther. I, I think it can only happen on accident when the client is saying, yes, I'm with you. Yes, this is okay. Oh, I see. Uh -huh. Step and then it's like, nope, that totally was not okay. Right. <laughs> so, right. You know, sometimes they don't even know their own, even as best as you try to coordinate those signals and be super clear. But, um, you know, I really, I love what you're saying about grounding them. It's really about bringing them back to the present moment, letting them know that there's safety, that they're safe, there's no harm. Um, you know, you, you find this in like somatic experiencing and, and those things is you're just bringing them back to the here and now. Um, it's safe, come back to me. And, and, you know, in some of my couples, I have them learn how to do, I teach them how to ground with each other. If they're trying to do some work outside of session and there's an awareness that trauma might come up, how to help each other be a resource and ground. Um, so you're saying in stage one, you know, again, with de-escalation for an individual with trauma, we're really looking for how they deal with emotion. Um, we're, we're outlining their window of tolerance. We're trying to create the cycle. Um, we wanna help them de-escalate by helping them interrupt their own pattern maybe. Um, and the reason why we wanna do this, I, I kind of say is like, we wanna help them get their sea legs underneath that before we go much deeper into uh, stage two, where now we're not just organizing these things into how do you respond? How do you feel? What happens when, you, when emotions come alive for you? Um, as we help them to be more emotionally present, now we're gonna, we're gonna explicitly work with these parts and we're gonna go deep and we're gonna help them own disowned aspects of self or reprocessing disowned aspects of self that were banished under a previous 
organization of shame and fault and blame and um, you know, helping them to see their inner goodness and strength and rehabilitate. And I mean, I found that EFT with trauma and EFT, you know, stage two especially can be so it's the same, but very diverse at the same time. And I know a trick that I do also is, is in stage two, if they do have a secure attachment figure that's available, if, if that person is not able to come into couples with them, you know, eventually I would maybe like to do some couples with them, but if not, I might assign, you know, again, stage two, after they have their sea legs, I might give them little, little bits of homework. I might set them up with an enactment to go home with, like, you know, can you turn and tell your partner, I have trauma and it's here and I'm scared. Can you be with me? Right. And just kind of see, or, you know, I'd like to tell you about some things that you've never known about me that impact the relationship, you know, or, you know, whatever, depending on the client and the situation, you know, where we are in the work. Um, Cause I want to help them start to build that resourcing with their emotional support and their attachment system. And if they don't have an attachment system, I'm gonna look at that attachment. Again, we know that we do better together. We're more resilient. Uh, the science is very clear. We're able to fight disease better because again, all of our, our body's not being eaten up by adrenaline and cortisol. So it, it's able to fend off disease and, and illness and whatever. We're more psychologically resilient. So I'm gonna ask like, you know, we're gonna work on that part that avoids getting close to people. I may ask them, can you just pick one person who feels like it would be the safest bet? Um, and of course, I'm gonna do lots of assessment around the likelihood of that safety. And I'm gonna like baby steps. What would it be like? You know, I had a trauma client where she had a, um, a lady that lived upstairs that they had a lot in common with. She had no friends. Um, kind of wanted to get to know this person, but again, kept people at arm's length. And one of the assignments was next time you run into her in the hall, how about you say, hey, I'd like to get to know you better. I'd like to be friends. See what they say. Worked out brilliantly, right? So little bits, I want to help them expand that attachment system so that they have other resources so that I'm not that permanent resource. And, and I know ethically, that's what we're bound to as well. But what else would you, I mean, there's just so much that we, that's why there's multiple trainings on this. But is there anything else you would add? We, well, stage two is about restructuring a bond. So if we've learned that people aren't safe and we stay away and we protect ourselves and we're not feeling loved and accepted, so how can I feel that way in myself? And how can I start to, integrate that with other humans, restructure my bond with my loved ones. Um, so again, I think um, if we believe in the model and trust the process, we recognize that our clients will naturally do this on their own, but that prompts like that, or, um, you know, little reminders or nudges along the way might help to facilitate that further or more quickly. 
And, and then also, I think it's so key, so important to ask our clients about what's happening outside of the session. And because often it'll go um, unnoticed unless we ask about it, much like move five of the tango. It's so important to consolidate and integrate. And in stage three, consolidation, it, that also is key to ask. Um, so Sandy, for example, in stage three, we did a live session in one of the trainings and she um, so beautifully spoke and she said, oh, I don't, she, she gained an awareness through the questions about, you know, if you look in the rear view mirror, what do you see? Where have you come from? Um, th those types of questions. And it was there through that process that she had an insight that she hadn't previously had. And that was that she actually, for the first time, after many years of being with her partner, was aware that she was beginning to take in the love that he had been striving to provide for all those years. And it was so touching and so moving. And initially she thought, oh, I don't know if I should share that. I haven't shared that with you. And then after we finished um, the session, I um, checked in with her about her day and what would be next. And, um, and that's right. I just gently asked her whether she might share that with him. And um, then, yeah, in follow-up, she told me that they had gone out for lunch and she had talked to him about that. And yeah, it's just it's amazing. So and it's kind of just like working with couples. We want to find out what's happening outside of session because we want to know, is this work that we're doing in session making it outside of here? How's it impacting your life and improving your quality of living and functioning in relationships? So um, so I love what you're saying is that in stage three of EFT, which is the final stage, which is consolidation, you're helping them really consolidate a, a new narrative. I love what you said, looking in the rear view mirror, right? What's the new narrative? And again, the reason why we wanna do this through the attachment lens, again, is because attachment is hardwired into our survival system. And it is literally the lens through which we experience the world. You cannot take it off. So we need to work with that lens and doing this trauma work with clients for me, like my, it's been life-changing, you know, because of the attachment context, it gives them so much more meaning and depth to the organization that they have, how they came to organize what happened and how they're able to have a new narrative, um, a new way of organizing it going forward. It is just powerful. And I've seen my clients do some amazing things as a result of our trauma work. And it's become actually my favorite work. It's, it's just so powerful. And uh, just as a therapist, it just, uh, to see people start to embrace their own goodness and their own inner light through the work that you do is amazing. I mean, it literally changes their life and it's incredible. And I know we've got to wrap up and, and quickly, I do want to remind people though, that again, trauma is not just, people tend to, to think of trauma only in terms of like major events, like um, you know, something very overt, like being raped, being mugged, a car accident or neglect or abuse, but they don't recognize the subtle ways that can often be far more insidious, that trauma can happen, um, lack of consistent parenting or caregiving, betrayals, bullying, um, you know, attachment trauma 
basically trauma by other human beings that pertains to how we view ourselves can be some of the most powerful and life-changing kind of trauma. And so, yeah. and I think that's why it's so important to um, look at um, our individual therapy clients in, within their context, not just um, their family context, but their community, their broader um, cultural context, what it's like for them as an individual to live within that context and how that impacts them, um, both positively and negatively. Yeah, It's a holistic view, right? That's why I love attachment. EFT tells us how to use that attachment science, how to understand what's in front of us and how to intervene effectively. And it really is holistic. It, EFT already integrates um, aspects of other models, but it's it's been tested. We know why it works. We know how it works. It is very methodical, tactical, and strategic. So it's not like, oh, we just bring in a sprinkle of this and a sprinkle of that. It's, it's very strategic, um, but it already is holistic and integrated and amazing. And Leanne, you are just incredible. You are brilliant. You have such a brilliant mind and you do such incredible work around trauma and you offer workshops and you have training videos. So can you tell everyone just where can we find you? Where can we see you? Where can we learn from you? Yeah, thank you. Um, we have some training videos that are available through ICEFT, um, some that I did with Sue, which was um, a great honor, of course, and wonderful. She's given us this incredible model. And we have some videos and programs also with Sue um, and, and on my own and with Robin Williams Blake available through our website. Um, EFT Vancouver Island, and um, some with David Fairweather as well, working with couples, um, also available through that website. So um, welcome all of you. And if you have any questions or if would like any additional follow-up, more than happy to provide that. Excellent. Do you have a way that people can contact you? Like, is it on the website? Do you have an email? Yeah, it's, uh, it's on the website. Um, they can go to um, www.eftvancouverisland.com and um, find, find us there. Perfect, perfect. So guys, if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, I will make sure to put a link to Leanne's address and also to some of the training information on, on the description for the video. And Leanne, I know we're in COVID right now, but eventually we'll not be in COVID. And uh, so if you guys are interested in having Leanne come to your therapeutic community and do a training on trauma or EFT for individuals, um, she's spectacular, phenomenal. Just one of the best dynamic speakers I've ever um, attended a training with. So please look her up, contact her. Um, I know she'd, she'd love to come to your community. So you can just get in touch with her and coordinate. And um, Thank you just so much, Leanne, for being with us and for your wisdom. Uh, thank you, Annabelle. My pleasure. And thank you all for joining us. Thank you guys to our viewers. More exciting EFT videos are on the way. So make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss out. Don't forget to buy my book, Using Relentless Empathy in the Therapeutic Relationship, Connecting with Challenging and Resistant Clients for Helping Professionals available on Amazon or on my website, www.drbugatti.com.